Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 16 this morning. That contains our memory verse for this month, Ephesians 4, 15, where Paul tells us, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, what? In every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. And so I encourage you to be memorizing that this month, meditating upon it, considering that, that truth and allowing it to work in your heart. Well, please stand with me at this time as we look at Ephesians 4, verses 12 through 16, and I'm going to begin in, in verse 11 as we conclude this, this passage, this section of Scripture that we have been considering together the last few weeks. Paul says this in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May you be encouraged through the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray as we begin to, to turn our attention more specifically to God's Word this morning. Uh, Father, thank you for the gifts that you've given your church. Thank you the gifts, for the gifts that you've given to every believer to equip your church. And, and Father, we pray that you would allow us to, to use these gifts for your glory. We pray that our church would be strengthened, would be, would be built up, would be a, a testament to your glory, a temple for you to dwell in richly. And, and Father, we pray that you would cause our hearts to be open today to the, the teaching of your word, Lord, I pray that you would allow me to speak with, with clarity, and that you would allow the, the words that I speak to be in, in conformity to your word, to, to be uh, faithful to your, your word as presented here in Ephesians chapter 4. We pray your blessing on our time. Help us to continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Christ gives gifts to every believer to build up his church. Christ gives gifts to every believer to build up his church. That's the, the great statement that we have been considering over the last four weeks, this being the fourth week. Uh, three weeks ago, we considered the, the first half of that phrase, Christ gives gifts to every believer. We looked at verses 7 through 11 of Ephesians chapter 4, and we saw these, these different gifts that Christ has given his church. We saw that each individual in the body of Christ has been given a gift and, and is to exercise it. And then the last two weeks, we looked at spiritual shepherds in verse 11. And we saw that not only has God given individuals in his church special gifts to be used, he's also given this, this gift to the church at large, this gift of spiritual shepherds. And we looked at what a spiritual shepherd is to do, uh, who he is to be, and we, we talked about the excitement that we should feel as a church as God bestows spiritual leaders to our church and how we need to be faithfully 
praying for these men as God prepares them. Uh, This morning, we're looking at the second half of this phrase. Christ gives gifts to every believer. Why? To build up his church. And that's the truth that we're considering this morning. The fact that these, the purpose of these gifts is to build up Christ's church. And we're looking at verses 12 through 16 this morning, and we're going to see that that Paul kind of presents it here in a, in, a, in a progression that's very interesting. In fact, as I was reading through this and, and studying through this, I thought, you know, this is, this is somewhat like a, like a story, a, a long illustration. And so we are going to, to move through this text, looking at, at each part of it and seeing how this, this text kind of flows together. And in order to, to help us sense the, the flow of this passage, what I'm going to do is kind of be giving an, an extended illustration I'm going to tell you about two different churches and how two different churches grow in comparison with the truths presented in this passage. Let me tell you first a little bit about these two churches that will be used as an illustration as we consider this truth that Christ gives gifts to every believer to build up his church. Uh, The first church is a church called First Community Church. Uh, First Community Church is a church on on the east side of town. It's pastored by a man named Pastor Tom, and there are several great elders that are part of First Community Church. Uh, First Community Church is a a medium-sized church here in the Midwest, and there are a lot of neat things that are going on at First Community Church. Uh, One day at First Community Church, about a year ago, one of the elders comes to the elder meeting, and he, he sits down with the other guys, and he says, his name is Jim, and Jim says to Pastor Tom and the other elders, he says, guys, the Lord has really been burdening my heart with the, our need to grow. I believe that our church is, is stagnant in some ways, and, and Christ desires for his church to grow. We need to consider how God would have us to grow. And the elders say, well, that sounds like a good idea to us. And so a first community church is, is thinking through what ministries God would have his people engaged in at that church in order to help that church grow both, both numerically and spiritually. And they're, they're thinking through different ministry opportunities. They're thinking about starting perhaps an Awana ministry or a, 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 a ministry to, to young moms. They're talking about some evangelism ministries they would like to see established. They're, they're also talking about some prayer initiatives that they believe that God might call their church. They're not positive what God is going to do, and they understand this. They understand that whatever ministry God calls their church to do, God is going to have to raise up people to perform that work of ministry. That's First Community Church over here. Now, on the other side of town, on the west side of town, you have Second Community Church, okay? I'm not a very original thinker here. Uh, And Second Community Church, there are some, some neat things happening at Second Community Church as well. Their leadership team is really fired up. They just came back from a conference on church growth. And so their leadership team is also thinking about how their church might be called by God to grow. And Pastor John, who's the pastor of this church, it's also a, a medium-sized church of, of several hundred. Uh, pastor, pastor John is, is thinking through different things that he learned at this conference. And he and the elders had attended one breakout session that, that really kind of caught his ear. This session, this breakout session of the conference was called From 400 to 1,000, How to Grow Your Church how to, how to over double your church in, in, in uh, two to three years. And Pastor John and the leadership are, are kind of thinking about this. They, they realize that, that demographically they're posed to, to, to neat, do some neat growth. And so they're thinking through how 
can we grow our church over the next two to three to four years? That's Second Community Church. Well, let's look at verses 12 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4 and see how God would have his church to, to grow and to be strengthened. We're going to see several movements here, several truths that go through the passage. The first truth we see is this in verse 12, that the church's shepherds must equip. The church's spiritual shepherds must equip. Remember verse 11 says that he's given these pastors and teachers, and then verse 12 says this, to equip, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. A couple things that we see here. Sometimes people in a church have a mistaken impression of the purpose of a pastor. They think, okay, we've, we've hired this guy as our pastor, and uh, therefore we have our, our preacher guy, and we have our evangelism guy, and we have all the guys that we need. And so anytime that there's a ministry need, they say, well, let's just get the pastor to do that, or, or perhaps one of the elders. That's kind of their job. In fact, sometimes people say, well, I want to share the, the gospel with my friend, and so in order to, to share the gospel with my friend, what, what do people say I'm going to do? I, I'm, I'm going to invite the pastor over. I'm going to bring him to church. And then, and then pastor better preach a pretty strong evangelistic message so that they can hear the gospel. Or I, I want to start this new ministry. I think our church should do a, a ministry to, to this group of people. And so uh, they come to the pastor or the elders and say, you guys need to start this ministry. It's, it's a mistaken impression or understanding of the purpose of elders, of spiritual shepherds. The task of a spiritual shepherd, a pastor, an elder, is to what, according to this verse? Equip people to do ministry. And so a the gift of a pastor, the gift of a spiritual shepherd, the gift of elders, is that there are people that come alongside other believers and say, okay, how has God gifted you? Let me help you do the ministry God has called you to do. And these elders, these spiritual shepherds, do it in a variety of ways. They, they hold training sessions sometimes. They, they communicate needs at, in the bulletin and, and through life at Bethany. Uh, the elders do this in... in uh, having people come alongside with them as they do ministry and train them to do ministry. One of the key ways that a spiritual shepherd, I believe, equips people to do ministry is by teaching them God's Word. One of the primary ways we're going to see in verses 12 through 16 that a spiritual shepherd equips people to do ministry is by pointing them to the person of Jesus Christ. And so a, a solid biblical shepherd comes alongside a person and says, let me share with you God's word, let me teach you about the faith, let me teach you about the person of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to equip you to do ministry, not by holding your hand every second of the way, but by helping you to treasure Christ. And as you come to God's word and you have an understanding of who Jesus is, you get excited about the possibility of ministry, and you're equipped you have a right understanding about the purpose, the nature of ministry, and you're motivated to do ministry for the right reasons. So ministry in a church begins with the spiritual shepherds equipping people to do ministry. And so over here at, at First Community Church, Jim, one of the elders, comes again and says, guys, have, you been, have we been thinking about things? And they say, absolutely. And they, they begin to, to come to God's word first and foremost. And they say, okay, what does God's word say that the church is to be about? And they're studying the word, and they're getting excited about the things that they see, that the ministries that they're supposed to be doing. They begin to pray that God would raise up the people. 
a pastor, Tom, begins going through an expositional series on the person of Jesus Christ and the, the character of God, and he's helping the people in the church to treasure Jesus Christ. And as people in the church begin to treasure Jesus Christ, they're excited about ministry, not out of obligation, but out of joy. There's a guy in the church named Gene, and Gene is just just a super guy. Gene comes to the elders and says, guys, I would like to begin a nursing home ministry. And the elders say, you know what, That that wasn't really on our radar screen at all, but of course that's a great ministry. Come back to us with a plan, Gene, and Gene says, all right, and so, you know, Gene's a great guy, but not a planner, okay? He comes back, and the plan that he presents is not a great plan. And everybody kind of knows it, including Gene. And the elders go, look, Gene, your sweetheart, you got the gift of encouragement, but man, this is not a good plan. This is disastrous. And Gene goes, yeah, I know. But I just love people, and I want to get involved in this. And and the elders say, that is awesome. We want to help you. What about your friend Norman? Norman is a great administrator. Why don't you get Norman? You guys come up with a plan, and then let's pursue this ministry. And so Gene and Norman get together. They come up with just a dynamic plan, very biblical, very encouraging, and they begin to do this ministry. The elders are pursuing other ministries, but they're equipping people like Gene to do the things that God has called them to do. Well, Second Community Church over here on the other side of town is taking a little bit of a different tack. Based upon this, this seminar that they went to, Pastor John and the elders hire a consulting firm. And what they do is they kind of survey the neighborhood. And they find out the different uh, felt needs of the people in that community. And, and this, this marketing firm comes back to, to Pastor John and they say, look, here, here are six messages that you need to preach. And, and here are the top five ministry that your church needs, the top five ministries that your church needs to be involved in. These are high growth ministries. And here are some DVDs. You show these DVDs. We're going to tailor make them for your church. Show these DVDs every morning be- before church begins, and they're going to they're gonna motivate your people to do these ministries. And, and here are the, the top five ministries you need to do, and you need to make sure that you do each of these in, in this way and in this manner to motivate people to be engaged in the ministry. So that sounds great. Now, uh, there's a real sweet lady at Second Community Church. Her name is Mabel. Mabel is not doing well health-wise, and Mabel comes to, the, to the, some, some guys and she says, look, I used to be involved in children's ministry. I, I can't do it anymore. I can't get to church every week anymore because of my health. I would like to be involved in this ministry of sending care packages to missionaries. Well, that's not one of the top five ministries that the guys are to be focused on right now, and so, so they, they kind of brush her aside. It takes them a year and a half to approve that ministry, and by the time they approve it, Mabel has gone home to be with Jesus, okay? Mabel never gets to be involved in sending the care packages to the missionaries. What's the application for us here as we think about this truth that the church's shepherds must equip? Well, I believe that that means we, as a flock, need to be being equipped, uh, coming to God's word, studying God's word for ourselves, availing ourselves of opportunities to learn more about God's word and to learn about the character of God, the person of Jesus Christ, and the way that we're to do ministry. We need to be looking at the bulletin and seeing the different ministry opportunities that are available to us and allowing God to work within our hearts as well to see how God might call us to do ministry. And then, and then as he calls us to do ministry, be equipped in other ways as well, job shadow, ministry shadow people. 
as they're engaged in ministry. Look at the ministry of successful people in ministry and, and try to emulate the things that they've done by God's grace. Well, Paul continues to walk us through this. Uh, the church's shepherds must equip. And then secondly, we see the equipped church becomes a church that's passionate about ministry for the glory of God. Uh, verse 12 says this. He says that these, these shepherds are equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Uh, this equipped church becomes passionate about ministry, about doing things. Uh, this equipping leads to doing all become involved in these, these ministries. It says the, the saints. It doesn't say the, the super saints. It says the saints. Everyone is involved in, in doing this ministry. The word ministry can also be translated service. And so these, these saints are getting involved in this ministry, and they're beginning to, to serve other people. It goes on. It says not only are they involved in this, in this uh, ministry, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The, the purpose of this ministry is, is to be a, a building ministry. And as all, everyone gets involved in these acts of service, these gifts that were described in verses 7 through 11, the, gift, the gifts that, that Christ has given, the gifts that we also looked at other passages, the gift of helps, the, the gift of service, the, the gift of teaching, these gifts that, that were given in verses 7 through 11 are now being utilized in verses 12 through 16. All the saints are, are doing these work of ministry, and as they are doing these work of ministry, the, the focus is not on themselves, but on the, the needs of the church, and they're, they're passionate about meeting the needs of other believers. The goal, the goal here is, is growth, but growth in a biblical way. They're focused not on what ministries will the church do to me, do for me, to meet my needs, but what ways can I serve the needs of other people in the church, just as leaders needed a caution against leading for their own self-interest in verse 11, uh, the church, as they begin to do ministry, needs to be cautioned against consumer mentality. Uh, don't ask, as I come to a church, what ministries exist for me, but as I come to a church, I ask, what ministries exist for me to do for others? It is a, a radical paradigm shift. The equipped church becomes passionate about doing ministry for the glory of God. Now, over here at, at First Community Church, Pastor Tom is, is preaching these, these messages, and, and people are beginning to treasure the person of Jesus Christ and get excited about ministry. Some people, are, as they think about treasuring Jesus Christ, realize that they have, they have not been involved in, in ministry for years. One of these guys is a guy named Richard. Richard has been at this church since he was, since he was born. And Richard, quite frankly, has never done anything, okay? Richard has done nothing but attend the church. And Richard, his excuse has always been this. He's always said, you know what? I just can't find my niche, all right? Well, as Richard, he's in a Sunday school class with Gene and Norm who are doing the nursing home ministry. And as he hears Gene and Norm talk about the joy that they're getting out of this ministry, and he sees the, the amazing things that are, that are taking place in that ministry, and as he begins to hear God's word taught and, and realize the importance of, of loving Jesus Christ and, and how that's the proper motivation for ministry, Richard becomes very convicted. And he says, it's not that I haven't found my niche, it's that I haven't looked for niches for me to, feel, to, to, to fill. I haven't seen what needs are out there and been convicted to follow after them. And so Richard looks at his bulletin, and he opens up his bulletin, and he sees this Awana ministry. thinks, you know what? I could do that. And so Richard, this guy, never done anything in the church, begins to listen to little kids say Bible verses. 
and loves it. He goes every Wednesday and he listens to these kids say the Bible verses. And something about his heart changes too. As he experiences this joy in ministry, he begins looking for other needs that he can fill. And one, one uh, Wednesday as he's listening to a little kid say a Bible verse, he, the, the parent comes to pick up this child and he tells the parent how much he enjoyed working with their child. And he begins to talk to this parent and he finds that this parent is, is out of work, has been laid off. Richard is not a, uh, ironically enough, not a rich guy, and yet he realizes, hey, I can help meet, meet some needs here. He has a car that he was planning on selling, doesn't need to sell it right away, can wait a couple months, and so he, he asks the guy if he, if he needs to borrow his car for a while. The guy said that would be great. Richard agrees, ma- uh, makes a time to, to set up, uh, to drop off this car, and so he comes to this guy's house to drop off the car, meets the guy's neighbor, they begin to talk is able to share the gospel with him. What do you have here now? Here's this guy, Richard, who is doing nothing in the church. All of a sudden, he's becoming integral to the ministries that are taking place. There are things that are happening in that church that apart from him getting passionate about the person of Jesus Christ and beginning to do ministry would not have happened. Some amazing things are happening because Richard is excited about Jesus. He's become equipped, and now the equipped person is ministering for the glory of God. Not, not to bash on this imaginary church over here, but things aren't quite going the same way at Second Community Church. Now, on the plus side, you have a lot of people doing things. The worship advertisement was especially effective at Second Community Church. And a lot of people get really excited about doing ministry in the worship ministry. Dale is one of those guys. He's excited about the new sound system. He's a tech, tech guy, and he loves and he loves equipment and things like that, and, and the church bought the, the best equipment possible, and so he wants to get involved in that ministry. Uh, Mary is a young girl in her 20s, and sweet gal, but uh, she recently tried out for American Idol. It didn't go so well. She was one of like those, those, those uh, ones that they show in the joke reels and stuff. It didn't, not a great audition, okay? And Mary's kind of embarrassed about that. She knows that she's got talent, and so she wants everyone to know it, and, and she's excited about the, the prominence that the people in the worship ministry will have, and so she signs up to be on the worship team. Ed, Ed's a great guy as well, but Ed has a past. Ed, as he hears them talk about ministry is very convicted about the things that that he did in his past and he wants to make up for those things and so he signs up to do ministry to kind of atone for past sins all these people involved in ministry but not for the reason of, of glorifying God not out of the joy that is contained within the ministry itself but either a love for the job a love for the attention or out of guilt people are doing ministry but not for the right reasons What's the application for us at Bethany Community Church? We need to be equipped. And we need to begin to do ministry, but our drive, our motivation for ministry is nothing short than a passion for Jesus Christ. And so we need to be equipped, and as we are equipped, we, we go to our bulletins and we, we pray to see what the needs are, and we, we pray that, that God would, would lay needs upon our hearts, and we, we think about other needs that exist in the church, and, and we're motivated to serve, and our motivation is driven by our passion for God, our love for his glory. That's what drives us and compels us to do ministry. The third thing we see here is this, the, the ministering church attains maturity. Watch the progression with me again. The church's leaders equip, 
the equipped church begins to minister out of joy and for the glory of God, and now the ministering church becomes a mature church. This, this church that's, that's ministering begins to attain maturity. Look at verse 13. We see the, some of the characteristics of maturity. Verse 13, Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This church, as it's equipped and begins to do ministry, several things begin to happen as it, attain, as it attains maturity. Look at the different characteristics of maturity here. The first thing we see is this. The first thing in verse 13, it says, until we all attain. In the church that's attaining maturity, the mature church brings, first of all, everyone along on the journey. A church that's attaining maturity brings everyone along on the journey. It's not like in a church you say, okay, uh, all of those of you who are, are super spiritual, you got the first three rows. And, well, oh dear, uh, we're in trouble. And, and uh, then those of you who, who aren't quite so mature, you're over here on kind of this section. And then those of you who are uh, mature but some family problems, you're over here. And uh, unbelievers, you know, back row, okay? Just kidding, guys, all right? We don't do that. What do we do? We say, look, if we're going to be a mature church, we're all coming along in this process. If we're going to attain maturity, a mature church brings all the believers along in this process. The soldier's creed professes what? I, I will never leave a fallen comrade behind. And what men and women in the military understand and, and affirm is what the church needs to affirm as well. Uh, we're not going to leave the, the fallen comrades behind. This spiritual journey that we engage in is a corporate journey. And so the first characteristic of a church that's attaining maturity, the ministering church that's attaining maturity, the first characteristic is we're bringing everyone along, understanding that, that we all have issues, and the job of, of each of us is to seek out and meet the needs of others. Another characteristic of a church that's attaining maturity that we see in verse 13 is that this church is united in the faith. Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. The faith there is a very specific word. It, it implies that there is a context, a, a content of truth. There's a, a declaration that we all adhere to. There's, there's certain truths that we all are becoming united in. We're not united by gimmicks. We're not a market-driven church. We're a church that's united by the faith. I've referenced David Wells several times over the last several weeks as we've been talking about, about the church, and I've referenced his book, The Courage to be Protestant. He talks about some very silly things that churches are involved in. <laughs> he talks about senior pastors dressing up like, like Superman and, and different, you know, I, I can't even say some of the things because I, I don't want to, to be disparaging any, I don't want to unintentionally disparage any churches because, quite frankly, evangelicals are involved in some really silly things sometimes. In fact, David Wells makes the point that it's becoming impossible to make fun of evangelicals because we're making fun of ourselves. It, it, it's hard to satirize the, us because of some of the ridiculous things that we're doing in ministry. We're not making sure that we're united in the faith we're doing some rather ridiculous things to get people in our doors. But Paul says here, a mature church is becoming united in the faith. They're understanding the content of God's word. They're understanding the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, listen to the third characteristic. Not only are we all attaining maturity, not only is the unity based on the faith, but related to that, it's related, we're united in the knowledge of the Son of God. 
there's a, an understanding that we have of the person of Jesus Christ that increases as we become more mature. And a church that doesn't understand more about Jesus is not going to be a church that matures in the faith. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In the evangelical church, it's gotten to the, to the point where often we can't distinguish the real Jesus from the pseudo-Jesus. We need to attain maturity, all of us, and as we all maintain, attain maturity, we're united in the faith and God's word, the content of the truth, and we're understanding Jesus in a deeper way. We understand his character, we understand his holiness, we understand the holiness of God, we understand the, the life of Jesus, we understand the forgiveness that is offered through the person of Jesus Christ. We treasure him. The fourth characteristic of a church that's attaining maturity is that it's maturing people. In a maturing church, people, individuals are being matured as well. It says until, verse 13 says, in, in, uh, the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That is, individuals in the church are, are, corporate, are, are growing in a corporate sense. And just like a, you can, there are characteristics you can look, to, look at in a child to see that this child is growing to maturity, there are characteristics in an individual in a church that you can, that you can monitor to see maturity in them as well. They're able to look after the needs of others instead of just the needs of themselves. They're not throwing temper tantrums. They're, they're focused upon, upon growth and, and doing things. That's what's happening in a church that's growing corporately. Individuals are growing, individ, are growing as well. So a church that's attaining maturity brings everyone along on the journey. They're united in the faith. They have an accompanying knowledge of the Son of God. They're maturing individuals, and they're being filled with Christ. Look at the last part of verse 13. This is a very interesting phrase. It says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so a church that's attaining maturity is, is a church that's, that's becoming more and more filled with Jesus Christ. A church that's attaining maturity is a church that's being directed and controlled by the person of Jesus Christ. We're about to talk about some dangers that exist in 14 and about a church being tossed to and fro in every direction. A church that's attaining maturity is focused upon the person of Jesus Christ, they're anchored in him, and they have a, a passion for him, and they treasure him above all other things. A church, a church is to be maturing. As they attain maturity, those are the characteristics that we see taking place within that church. Now, over here at First Community Church, to continue our illustration here, things are going okay. Now, if you're an outside observer, you'd say things are going kind of quiet to that church. They're stable. They're experiencing some growth, but again, to be honest with you, they've lost some people as well. And it's to a second community church, actually. Okay? Now, Pastor, Pastor Tom's a little discouraged about that, but, but he understands that they're doing the right things. And he's seen some, some neat maturity within the individuals. And those characteristics of maturity that we just talked about, He's seen take place in the lives of his people, lives of the people at, at the church. There's unity. They're, they're understanding Jesus more. They're, they're treasuring Christ. One time, he's at the elder meeting, and he begins to share some of the prayer requests that are coming into the church. And his heart's kind of burdened by some of the, the struggles that some of the people in the church are having. I mean, if you're out looking at, at the church on a Sunday morning, you'd say most people exteriorly are, are doing well, but, but a pastor, no, Tom, knows about some of the needs that some people have, and his heart is burdened for those things. And he shares that with the other leaders. 
And Jim, great, great elder Jim, he opens God's word and says, guys, I'd like to share with you a passage that I, I think God may have laid on my heart. He said, I'd like to just share with you from Ezekiel 34, Jim says at this elder meeting. He says, in Ezekiel 34, God is talking to the shepherds of Israel, and he cautions them, chastises them for their failure to look after the weak sheep. He says, verse 4, he's talking to spiritual shepherds, the weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled them. And Jim says to the other leaders there, he says, guys, we got a lot going on. We got a lot of dynamic things going on in our church, and it would be easy for us to get distracted with the big things. Guys, we cannot do that. We have got to pay attention to the weak sheep in our midst. Pastor Tom says, Jim, you are absolutely right. Thank you so much for that word. And the men begin to pray that God would help them minister to the weak sheep. And you know what happens? People in that church begin to minister to the weak sheep. And despite all the, the cool ministries that are beginning, they don't get distracted with just doing ministry. They focus on people who are struggling. The church of God is glorified because of it. Second Community Church, uh, if you're an outsider looking in, you, said, you, would say, you would say things have never been better at this church. They are growing like gangbusters. It is just going phenomenally. And they have accomplished their goal of meeting those top five needs. But they also, they also notice that there are some people in their church that are struggling. And their approach is a little bit different. Instead of coming alongside these people with God's word, they, they find these, these, these materials that, that, quite frankly, aren't Christ-focused. And they try to, to meet their needs, but they try to meet their needs without the person of Jesus Christ being first and foremost. And Pastor John even though he sees the great growth that's taking place, is a little uncomfortable with where the church is. But he kind of quiets his heart as he, see, as he contemplates the growth. But there's a dangerous underlying current, and that's that people are doing ministry not based on a passion for God's glory, not based upon their treasuring Jesus Christ, and people are hurting, and hurting people aren't being given the person of Jesus Christ in their pain. It's a solve. The material that they go through seems to work for a time, but it's not based upon the work and person of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't help them know the character of God in a deeper way or his word. What's the application for us? Well, we as a church need to look at ourselves first individually, saying, am I maturing? Am I a believer that is, that is becoming more mature in my faith? Am I, am I more able to, to be self-sustaining just as a, a child begins to grow and can do more things on their own? Am I an individual who's growing? This past week, uh, kind of a sad yet mostly happy uh, thing for us, uh, Ellie, our youngest, is now uh, potty trained. Okay, So, uh, She's pretty, pretty amazing too. Like whenever we were going through the process of, of potty training, uh, she was she was drinking some water and, and spilled a little water in her hand and started freaking out about the water in her hand. And I thought, kid, you don't know nothing yet. This is about to get very uncomfortable for you. She doesn't like messes, and so she has been just a breeze to potty train. She is now more mature than she was three weeks ago. Okay, she is a 
She's a much more mature individual. She's growing. And my, my daddy's heart is a little sad about that, but uh, I, I like not changing diapers, and the garbage man is now our friend again and everything. And so uh, things are going well. There's maturity that's taking place. We need to ask ourselves, am I becoming more mature? Am I growing in my understanding of God's word? Can I, can I take a person to God's word and, and teach them about Jesus? Can I understand Jesus? Do I know how to, how to, how to study God's word? Do I know how to, how to pray? Am I becoming more mature? And as I become more mature, am I bringing others along in that process of maturity, which is a sign of a mature church? Am I intentional in looking for needs of, of other people in the church? Remember, it says, until we all attain unity. In fact, just take a moment, okay? Don't look at me. I'm getting a little uncomfortable with you staring at me. Just kind of look around this room just for a second. Look at the people that are in this room. Who are the people that you'd say, yeah, that's the guy I'd leave behind? <laughs> that's nice guy, but if things get rough, he's the first to go, okay? None of us would say that, right? We're passionate about God, and because we're passionate about God, we're passionate about his people, and because we're a maturing church, God willing, we're we're passionate about all of us continuing in this journey of maturity. That's what I pray is true as well. So, let's walk through this again. I'll go this way. The, the church's elders are equipping, the spiritual shepherds are equipping. As they, they equip, people are, are, are doing ministry, preparing for ministry for the glory of God. As people begin to do ministry, that the church matures. The fourth thing we see is this. The mature church is strong enough to withstand dangerous waters. The mature church is strong enough to withstand dangerous waters. Let's read verse 14 together. Verse 14 says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's a very vivid picture that's painted here, isn't it? This picture of a child who falls in the ocean. You know, on the high seas, even a very strong ship is going to be at the mercy of, of great waves. Uh, imagine a small child who, who falls into the dark of night in the midst of a storm. That child has no hope of being able to withstand strong waves. The waves take a child one direction, the child goes. The, child, the waves take the child in another direction, the child goes in that direction. Uh, great winds strike a, a, a force that's not very strong, and the, that, that, that object goes along with the wind. Tuesday night, Whitney and I were at Qdoba eating outside, and, and I had a napkin, and I I tried to, to tuck it away from the wind, but just a little bit of a breeze caught that napkin, and whoosh, it was gone, okay? Couldn't catch up with it. Looked silly trying, all right? Wind one direction, another, and it's gone. Right? The church that's not anchored in the person of Jesus Christ, the church that isn't unified in the faith, the, person, the church that doesn't have a knowledge of, of who Jesus is is going to be a church that's tossed to and fro by every wind. The church, I believe, oftentimes is unaware of the central truths of the faith. And because they're not aware of the central truths of, of the faith and of the gospel, they're not phased when people within the church are unclear on central truths of the, of the faith. And so a, a person in a church might start saying something about Jesus that, that simply isn't true, and, and a church isn't phased by that because they don't understand the truth. Or a church might begin saying certain things about, about moral issues, and a, a church that hasn't been grounded in the person of Jesus Christ doesn't necessarily have a problem with that because they don't understand what God's Word says about those issues. A church that isn't grounded in the truth is tossed to and fro. 
Something else that's very interesting that happens in a church that's not grounded in the truth, this is very fascinating to me, and it happens all the time, is that a church can simultaneously confirm contradictory truths. That is, they'll say, uh, we believe A, and we also believe B. Uh, We uh, affirm A, and we practice B. And they don't see the contradiction in, in these things. If you've ever read the, the Chronicles of Narnia series, uh, my, my favorite book is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader in that series. And in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, the character Lucy, uh, she, she and some others visit an island. And on the island live these creatures called the, the monopods. The monopods, they have one, they're little dwarves with one leg that they hop around on. Okay? Now, uh, these monopods are very funny creatures. And uh, Lucy finds them quite cute. These monopods find themselves hideous. And so Lucy, as she's talking to these monopods, uh, tells them how nice they look. She goes, she, uh, C.S. Lewis writes, I think you look very nice. Uh, true for you, Missy. This is the monopod speaking. True for you, Missy. Very nice we look. You couldn't find a handsomer lot. They said this without any surprise and did not seem to notice that they had just changed their minds. The chief disagrees and says, well, well, what she's saying is that we were nice then before we were uglified. And, and Lucy says, no, that's not what I mean at, at all. Hear them both, hear them both, cry the monopods. There's a pair for you always right. They couldn't have put it better. Lucy replies, but we're saying just the opposite, said Lucy, stamping her foot with impatience. So you are, to be sure, so you are, said the monopods. Nothing like an opposite. Keep it up, both of you. You're enough to drive anyone mad, said Lucy. These monopod creatures affirm contradictory truths without even blushing. And the sad thing is, the evangelical church oftentimes is affirming contradictory truths without even blushing because we aren't grounded in the truth. And so in our doctrinal statements, we say, you know, we believe in the authority of God's word, and yet we refuse to teach it in the pulpit. Uh, We say, you know, we believe in the reality of sin, but we refuse to talk about it. Or we say we believe that that Jesus Christ is the only way that a person can have relationship with God, but we're open to other methods. And so we might have strong doctrinal statements, but affirming contradictory truths, and we don't understand what God's Word says. We don't understand the person of Jesus Christ. And so the evangelical church oftentimes is affirming these contradictory truths. Beloved, this should not be. Think about the various winds that, that sweep across the evangelical landscape, that sweep across the church throughout the lives of, of us. There's been the, and without, and without us having a solid grounding in the faith, a solid grounding in God's word, we are at a loss as to how to evaluate the, the truth and the, the falseness of some of these things. And so the, the Jesus movement comes along, or or the, the self-esteem movement comes along, or, or the, the, the purpose-driven life, or, or 40 days of purpose, or, or the prayer of Jabez, or, or this or that. And, and we don't have real grounding in, in God's Word, and so we don't know how, how to evaluate what of these things are good and, and what's bad. And, and sometimes these different programs and ministries affirm contradictory truths. Different radio teachers come on, the, the radio, and one after the other, and we affirm them both, and they're saying opposite things. Without a grounding in God's Word, Beloved, we're not going to have the ability to understand what's right and wrong. And all we're going to be at the, at the whim of whatever comes on the radio. We're going to be at the whim of whatever latest fad comes down the, the pipe. 
We must, as a church, be grounded in God's truth so that we can rightly be mature enough to discern truth from falsehood. Because the false Christ that is presented is not going to be a Christ worth treasuring when the times get tough. At First Community Church, Pastor Tom is never even aware of the heresy that was taught in the Sunday school class that Sunday. There was a new guy that had been attending the church named, named Tim, and, and Tim in a Sunday school class in a conversation says, you know what, uh, I, I was reading recently this book that talks about evil and, and how God uh, is, is separate from evil, and, and, which is a true statement, of course. And he says, but I've been wondering how, how free will inter, inter, interferes with, with evil and with, with God's sovereignty. He says, this book presented a rather novel solution. He said, the book I read said that, that God doesn't know the future perfectly. That God is so smart that he, he knows a, a lot of different futures. And he allows our, us to make our own choices. And, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. He just knows what, what might happen because he's really super smart. Well, you remember Gene and his, his nursing home ministry? As he's become more mature, he's become a much better student of God's word. And Gene says, you know, Tim... I love you, but uh, that's wrong, okay? He says, in fact, I was reading my Bible the other day, uh, something in Isaiah. What was it? It was in Isaiah 41. He kind of flips through his Bible. He says, yeah, yeah, here it is. The Bible says that one of the characteristics of false gods is that they don't know the future. He says in Isaiah 41, God says to these false idols, tell us what is to come hereafter so that we may know that you're gods. And he says, these false gods, a characteristic of a, a false god is they don't know the future perfectly. And everyone else in the Sunday school class uh, hears Gene say that as an encouraged. And, and Pastor Tom never even hears about this heresy that was purported in his, one of the Sunday school classes. Because the church is so mature, this false teaching gets nowhere. And that's how it should be. At Second Community Church, the storms come fast and furious. The first storm happens when the congregation nominates uh, Mary to be one of the elders. And Pastor John thinks about that, and he goes, you know, that, I'm not very comfortable with that. And he kind of goes back, and he begins reading the Bible again, and he looks at some of his old notes from seminary, and he goes to the elders and says, guys, you know, I'm not comfortable with, with, with women uh, in, 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 uh, being elders, with women in el- uh, leadership here. So I don't think that's the biblical model for how a church is to operate. And he begins to, to talk about Scripture, and the elders stop him and say, look, John, Look, that, that's your interpretation, man. We're on the cutting edge of culture right now. This is one of the things that's going to really open up some, some avenues for people. And, and John says, well, I'm all, up, I'm all for opening opportunities for leadership for, for women, but, but not in this context. I don't think it's, I don't think it's biblical. They say, well, what do you know? That's your interpretation of that passage. And John realizes that he and the leadership are on some really different pages, and it had never come up before, and he's very surprised. That's storm number one. As that storm occurs, some of Pastor John's quotes, quotes in a local paper come to, to uh, attention. In the state legislature, they're debating the issue of same-sex marriage, and, 
the local paper wants to get an evangelical pastor's take on it. And, and Pastor John says, well, I, I believe that, that we should, should love people that are in that lifestyle, but, but at the same time, I believe it's a sinful lifestyle, a harmful lifestyle, and I don't think that we should, should legalize, legalize uh, same-sex marriage. And, and once that quote hits the paper, it's a, it's a firestorm for the church. The church gets in the crosshairs of some groups, and there's protesting, and the elders come to John in the midst of all this and say, man, you've got to soften your statement. And John says, I don't think I can soften that statement. And ultimately, Pastor John loses his job, is forced to turn in his resignation letter because he and the leadership are in such radically different places regarding the authority of God's word. And too late, they realize, John realizes especially, the groundwork that wasn't laid. What's the application for us as a church to see what a dangerous point a church can get in if people are not exercising their spiritual gifts. God needs shepherds equipping, needs equipped people serving so that the church as a whole is strengthened and matured and, and everyone is, is understanding more about the person of Jesus so that as these, these winds of, of, of of false doctrine and teaching come, places where elders and, and shepherds can't be, that, that everyone is, is solid in the faith and is, is growing in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and can encourage one another and as, as tough times come, that they can, they can strengthen one another and, and, and lift up those who are, are, are suffering and hurting. Said earlier, if, you don't, if you're treasuring a false Christ, a Christ of our, our own fashioning, that Christ may last for a little while. He may be a very helpful uh, Christ whenever everything's going well and, and your job is going well and your family's going well, but, but things start to go poorly. That Christ is not a Christ worth treasuring and isn't going to be a Christ sufficient to bring you through the tough times. And so it's necessary to know the Christ of Scripture, to have a passion for him, an understanding of him, because that's the Christ that's going to be able to sustain you through tough times. Yearn for the true Christ. The Christ is presented in his word. The fifth thing we see is this. The, the strong church continues to grow. The strong church continues to grow. Look at verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. By contrast to this church that's swished every way, which way by the waves of, of, of false doctrine, the strong church is mature enough to continue to grow. He says, instead of these false doctrines, rather we are to, to speak the truth in love. And here he's not just talking about us as individuals saying true things, although that's certainly a, an appropriate application and one I've used before in, in, in uh, encouraging people in, in, proper, in proper speech. But he's not just talking about saying truthful things as individuals. He's saying as a corporate body, we are to be a church that, that proclaims truth. In fact, some translations translate this practicing the truth in love. That is, as a church, we are so committed to God's word that, that truth permeates our relations and our, our relationships with one another and, and what we communicate. We're speaking the truth in love. We're, we're practicing the truth. We're doing it in love. We're not we're not uh, affirming false teaching, but teaching true things. This truth is tempered by love, by our care and concern for each other. And there's this idea that the whole body, this whole body is being 
joined together and, and sovereignly held together and fitted together and placed together. You can't say as you're a part of God's church, well, I don't really fit in here. No, God has sovereignly placed you here, and you have a unique function to form. In fact, the, the words that are used here are, are words that, 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 I, that carry with it the idea of, of pressing together. God sovereignly brings us here and, and joins us together. Now each part has a place, and, and each part is doing its work. There's no redundancy in Christ's church. It's not like you say, well, if I'm not doing my part, I'm sure there's someone else that can do the same ministry. That's not a biblical idea. The idea is that each part is to be working properly to mature the, to mature the church. And as that happens, growth occurs. Christ gives gifts to every believer to build up his church. And I'm going to tell you what happens at these two churches in the end in, in just a moment. But before I do, be careful. D- don't be arrogant here, okay? Don't say, well, clearly, Daniel, wink, wink, means we're first community church because we could never be second community church. Yes, we could be. Yes, we could be. And even if we're not, you know, maybe, maybe not, we're not guaranteed of being first community church, are we? Apart from the grace of God working within our lives as we begin to do ministry. Well, at each church, there's kind of a, I guess you could call it a happy ending. Second community church reaches a 1,000. Their big goal, they do it on an Easter Sunday. They are pumped. And they continue to grow, and they are a major force in the community. And some, and by God's grace, some good things happen there. But they're not a strong church. A pastor, John, finds another job. In fact, he finds a job in a small country church, and, and there, there there are men and women who teach him some amazing things about ministry. And, and John becomes more committed to God's word in this next ministry. In fact, he loves it because the the first the, 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 question that he gets, the questions that he gets asked most often begin with the phrase, what does the Bible say about something? And Pastor John begins to become a student of the Word and, and communicating the Word to other people. And over here at First Community Church, things are going well also. There is growth, both numerical and spiritual. The spiritual shepherds equip the church. The equipped continue to be passionate about ministry for the sake of God's glory. As they continue to be passionate about ministry for the sake of God's glory, they continue to be more and more matured. And as they're mature, they withstand dangerous winds and waves. And as they withstand dangerous winds and waves, they continue to grow for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would protect our church And Father, we we pray that our church would achieve the purpose you have for her, that we'd be a church that grows in the truth. As we grow in the truth, that you would have us be ministering, not for our own glory, but for yours, and that we would have the proper motivation as we begin to serve you. And, And Father, begin to show us the opportunities that exist for us. Help us to do this in your strength. We pray this in your name. Amen.